Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, our guest is Amy Allison. She's an Oaklander and the founder of an organization called She the People. On April 24th in Houston at Texas Southern University, that's one of the nation's largest historically black colleges, She the People will host the first ever presidential forum dedicated to the issues of women of color. We're going to talk today about what those issues are. We're going to talk about white privilege. We're going to talk about how Joe Biden may have a lot of trouble explaining his past positions when it comes to women of color. Next, Amy Allison and She the People on It's All Political. Amy Allison, my friend, fellow Oaklander, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you. What an honor to be in this chair. Um, on the day we're recording this, we have some uh, breaking news about your She the People conference, or uh, presidential forum, I should say, which is happening April 24th. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, and Tulsi Gabbard have confirmed just today, correct? That's right. And they're joining uh, Cory Booker and uh, Beto O'Rourke and Julian Castro. So we've got seven. Seven of the eight chairs, one chair remaining. I noticed that a the one of the women of color in the race, because this is a presidential forum focused on women of color issues, is not confirmed yet. California Senator Kamala Harris. Yeah, What's that's up right. with that? It's a really good question. I think you should ask her campaign. Ooh. I mean, re- really, uh, we we made sure that we communicated with all the major presidential candidates and said, look, we're going to pull together a really large group of women, plus uh a set of really impressive partners uh, that represent women of color-led or center organizations throughout the South and Southwest. Mm-hmm. We're going to live stream to 500,000 people, mm. and we're going to talk about our issues. And by the way, unlike 2016, every Democrat running for president has to acknowledge something really important. There is no path to victory in the primary without winning over women of color. So any candidate who skips this has to really think really long and hard. So I think it's the the campaign is going to have to really talk about why uh, they made the decision that they made. But we did extend the invitation. And, you know, as of now, there's still an opportunity uh, for the senator to join, and we hope she does. And this will not be a debate, uh, correct? This was a forum. Everyone speaks uh, on their own. Yeah. Uh, The DNC pretty much made sure that that happened because they released their rules uh, in December that said, look, we're going to do the 12 debates so you can only do forums. I think it's important to note uh, she, the people, fundraised and organized separate from the party. And it's not just registered Democrats are at stake in terms of winning, you know, or, or the candidates and the, the issues during the primary. It's independence. I think in California, what, a third of the registrants are independent, and they break toward more progressive. And so we're making this a space where we can actually talk about the issues and opening it up past what the you know, the, 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 the traditional lines of what is considered Democratic Party politics. So let's talk about that for a second, because I know some people are going to be listening to this and they're going, all right, it's a women of color forum and you, you bill it as, a, uh, as devoted to the issues of women of color. What are those issues? Um, well, women of color are the most progressive voters in the country. And we're also actually the most loyal Democrats, I was going to say. 90, 92%? What's the stat? 90, 88% of women of color voted for Democrats in 2018. So when I say women of color delivered the victory uh, to uh, flip the House, 
I really mean we're backed up by by data. Mm-hmm. But you also have this debate within the Democratic Party uh, about who we got to win, who we have to win over, what, who do we have to persuade in order to be Trump? That's yes. the conversation. And there's some people still still chasing after uh, moderate white voters, uh, the, the guy, the dudes from, um, you know, Scranton. They use working class to really indicate uh, white working class men. But men, uh, white men, voted at 38 percent for Democrats. So the the contrast is real. And so we're uh, we're coming into this really new phase and really a new understanding about what it's going to take uh, to beat Trump in 2020. What, so that's a misguided uh, philosophy by the Democratic Party are saying that they, they – or maybe not the party in general, but some campaigns to chase the working class white voters. Oh, if we only won Michigan and, Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, we would have won uh, the presidency. Is that, is that misguided? It is misguided because it's a losing strategy. We lost in 2016. Mm. I mean – uh, I, I looked at, I listened to, and, and a lot of people who know me know I'm a longtime supporter of Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. back from 2017. Yes. And she was on MSNBC with Joanne Reed uh, yesterday. And she said, look, uh, basically, you can lean deeply into uh, the strongest progressives and most loyal Democrats, people of color, in states that Trump previously won. And when you invest your strategy and your resources into a persuasion campaign and also engaging those communities, lifting up issues that really get people to the polls, and you include progressive white voters, that's the winning coalition. If you're chasing using an old playbook um, and you you consider the most important voters, these less likely Democrats, it's a shaky and uh, not a successful strategy. So – She's making that case for places like Georgia. We know that that's a case in in Texas. And the reason why we're holding the presidential forum in Texas is that is a big prize. People look at Beto O'Rourke's statewide campaign last year and they go, hey, this guy's a great campaigner. He's the reason that Texas moved from a 16-point gap to a three-point gap. It's it's at the verge of turning blue. But I'm looking a little bit deeper and saying um, women of color are 25% of the electorate in Texas. Mm. And they're the strongest Democrats. And there's a, uh, a number of very uh, effective organizers who's, who have been running year-round voter engagement focused on people of color that are really delivering what I believe will be a flip opportunity for the state of Texas. So that's, that's happening everywhere. You think Texas could go blue next yes. year? Really? You don't think I all do. that, that Beto O'Rourke stuff was – Ted Cruz was, is so unlikable. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Yes, of course, at the surface. Uh But if we really understand what's happening in the long game, we got to understand in places, even that Trump won in the South and Southwest, the population has changed. And in places like Arizona uh, and Florida, Texas, you know, um, and Georgia, there there are indications that with very deep and sustained engagement. I'm not talking about going to communities of color six weeks before the election, but a sustained engagement that we can expand the electorate and we already have the people to win, to build a winning coalition. So we're still fighting that fight, even though when I look at women of color who weren't even a thing, if you look at two two years ago, nobody was talking about uh, women of color being the cornerstone of a winning democratic coalition. But the numbers show it, and um, presidential campaigns um, and Democrats ignore it at their own peril. Mm. President Trump is very fond of saying 
the black unemployment rate is the lowest it's ever been, 6 6%, 6.5%. Uh, and he says uh, it's because of his policies. What do you think? What do you say to that? I would say I don't really believe anything that he says. Yeah. I think um, when we look at the quality of jobs, um, we look at a lot of working uh, working people. Uh, they have a job, but the jobs don't pay enough to support them and their families. They don't provide them adequate health care and opportunities to build wealth. Mm. And many people hold more than one kind of job. And so what I want to see is I want to see us really challenge. If you work and you're a barista and you work at a particular and you only get 16 hours a week, you're not going to be able to get the benefits and get the support and, and have uh, uh, the income that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's more, um, and because I'm talking about women of color, women of color are the majority of restaurant workers, majority of domestic workers, and most of the minimum wage rules, even in the state of California, exclude those classes of workers. And so as a result, when you say black workers are, you know, the unemployment rate is low, it's meaningless without talking about the quality of the work and um, what that, what it allows them, what the kind of lifestyle that allows their, their families. No. And still double have. the white, uh, the white unemployment rate. Yeah. That's, that trajectory is, is still, it's still twice as much. It was twice as much 10 years ago. It's twice as much now. Now, conservatives, you hear this. They often dismiss when, when, when Democrats start talking about, uh, you know, women of color. They start talking about LGBT. They say this is identity politics. They're just playing identity politics. We're going to hear this for the next 580 days. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you say when people kind of dismiss these things as identity politics? I mean, it's decades old, this, the dismissing of identity politics. If anyone's playing identity politics right now, it's a Republican Party. It's a white men's identity politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for us, we have to both embrace all the identities that we have and do something new, which is to say we have a political identity which is based in solidarity with people who are different from us. Mm-hmm. Um, of, amongst progressives or, or Democrats, that's a requirement that to not to defend identity but to say it's part of who we are. But, uh, you know, she the people's not about one race. It's a multiracial political mm-hmm. identity based in solidarity. And I say there's a character of political organizing and of leadership that we need now. And that is we need to develop in a multiracial society. Hey, in California, the Bay Area, it's already here. It's coming mm-hmm. to most of the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, that we need to develop a heart for other people and other experiences. And when I say there's something really distinct about the kind of politics that women of color are are leading in in movements and the communities, it's intersectional, which sounds like a fancy word, which really says all your identities, the fact that you are all the things that you are really matters and informs uh, the kind of politics and the witness and the leadership you bring. I was thinking of uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jarapal, who's mm-hmm. talking about her uh, LGBT uh, child and what that is. Um, I'm thinking of other other people that talk about their personal experience and how that informs the kind of policies that they advocate. So there's very, there's a lot of power in identity. And I think we just dismiss, we dismiss what the, the conservatives are doing. They can't undercut us for having identity. And in fact, um, the white supremacy, the rise of the danger of white supremacist violence in this country, I think is directly tied to a sense that um, an identity doesn't have a heart for other people. Mm -hmm. And that's not who we are, really, ultimately, as Americans. So let's talk about white privilege and how it's playing out in this campaign. 
Um, but O'Rourke was asked about this, as, and he said, uh, as a white man who has had privileges that others could not depend on or take for granted, I've clearly had advantages over my life. He said this on Meet the Press uh, a couple weeks back. He said, I think recognizing that and understanding that others have not, doing everything I can to ensure that there is opportunity and a possibility for advancement and advantage for everyone is a big part of this campaign and a big part of the people who, comp who comprise this campaign. Two things here, like what, how should a candidate own their privilege? And what, how do you see this playing out already in the, the campaign, white privilege? I mean, if you look at the polls right now, uh, the two guys on top of the polls are two white guys, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And for all the talk about, you know, uh, this is the year of uh, female candidates last year and this year, the top candidate is Kamala Harris. And she's at 9%, you know, and Beto is right there and then Warren and Booker and so on. So what do you think, I mean, about owning your privilege? Where, how should candidates do that? First, let me say that uh, Beto O'Rourke, say what you want about him. Yeah. And I'll get a chance to meet him in a couple of mm -hmm. weeks in person. But yeah. He has demonstrated that in the era of the new American majority, that white men who are who, who can, can credibly and authentically demonstrate they have a heart for other groups, and particularly important in a place like Texas where uh, white men are like a, you know, they're not the majority and they've, you know what I mean? He's, he himself uh, has shown a lot of competency in um, identifying with and speaking with communities of color, Latino and black communities. Mm -hmm. That's really critical for his success, but it also gives a model for how uh, mm. white men uh, can be leaders in a multiracial environment. So owning your privilege, saying, hey, look, this country's institutions were built for people like me. Even politics ex itself, uh, original voters were white men who own property. I mean, acknowledging that right. and then saying, here's what I'm committed to. Here are my plans for uh, changing that, interrupting a long history in this country of social injustice, racial injustice. To me, starting there. Now, when you talked about Biden, uh, Biden's got problems right now because yes, Biden, let's... Joe Biden expects to be, he's got name ID. He had the benefit of uh, being um, second, you know, being a vice president with Barack Obama. But the fact is he, he's, he has handled being called out by Lucy Flores, the former uh, Nevada assemblywoman, for his inappropriate touching. I think there was another woman who called him out. Yes, two other. Two yeah. other yeah. women. He handled it badly. He did not demonstrate that he understands as a white man what his did he relationship do? With, with women of color or people of color. And expl explain what he did badly in that, other than not apologize, number one. Well, for, yeah. For, first of all, apologize. Yeah. Acknowledge privilege and say, I didn't see it that way. And then say, I'm committed to ending a system that tolerates uh, this kind of injustice, for, uh, gender injustice, racial injustice. And uh, here are my plans. Here's how I will rectify. Here's my commitment. But instead, you know, and remember, Joe, Joe Biden already had problems. And another, I, yeah. I grew, you know, I was at Stanford. I remember I was in the Ujima dorm, you know, at Stanford watching him. Um, allow the treatment of Anita Hill back when in college. It made a big impression on me as a young woman about a, a, a black woman showing all this courage, who was so young at the time, and facing, you know, coming, coming out and speaking her truth and facing an all-white male um, committee, the chair of whom was, was Joe Biden, and to allow her to be treated that way and the damage that caused to a generation, not only just black women, but uh, women in this country who 
want to wanted to speak out and felt they couldn't. So he has that to deal with. But then a couple of days later, making a joke out of it. Oh well, yeah. I guess I guess I can't touch any. Let me just you know. To me, uh, as a woman of color, I have heard that uh, sneering tone that dismisses uh, the the very essence of uh, what the original complaint was. Mm. And uh, I'm I have news for someone like Joe Biden. There is no path to victory. There is no path to him being president without the significant support of black women and women of color. And he just, uh, he did everything uh, wrong. Uh, even the, the video that he uh, shot did not demonstrate that he had a heart for the very uh, reality that Lucy Flores was demonstrating. He mentioned the word I or me in that video. Um, uh, I counted nearly three dozen times oh, right? in, in, uh, in a two and a half minute video. And he did not mention any of the women involved or any of that. Joe Biden, let's, let's stick on uh, Joe Biden for a minute. I was going to get to that because I want to get your take on a couple other things, the other problems he's got. Uh, in addition to the um, Anita Hill thing, um, he said a couple days ago, or he said this in, a couple times recently, uh, I wish I could have been in a position to help her. Oh, my goodness. So, he was the chair of the he committee. He was the chair <laughs> of the committee. He could have allowed of the judiciary witness. committee that was running that. He, for... he could have allowed a corroborating witnesses. That's one th concrete thing that the chair of the judiciary could have done. Yeah, he could have cut short the comments that she was being subjected to at that time. It is abject. Un it's untrue that yeah. he had no power in that situation. He had all the power in that setting. And the other problem he's got is, uh, you know, a couple of pieces of legislation he was a big supporter of. Um, back in the 80s, he required – he was backed a, um, a law that required tougher sentences for crack cocaine crimes as opposed to powder cocaine crimes. Now, crack cocaine more likely to be used by poor black and Latino folks, white folks more likely to use uh, powder. Uh, he's also a big sponsor of the 1994 uh, Violent Crime and Control Law, which is we commonly refer to as the, as the, the, crime, crime, the crime bill. Uh, big contributor to America's mass incarceration crisis. Um, then, but the other day he was speaking, um, I think it was on the, the anniversary of Dr. King's death, and he said, white America has to admit there's still systematic racism, and it go goes almost unnoticed by so many of us. At this point, what, what do you want to hear from Joe Biden? He has this, this legacy, as you've alluded to. What, is there any way he can like uh, uh, go back in time and, and talk about this stuff or, or, or what does he do? Yeah. I, 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 first of all, he says it goes unnoticed by most of us. He's talking about himself. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a great reckoning that's happening. And I think Trump being in the White House has made it clear that uh, we have to address the history of racism in this country. And we have to do it in a way that allows people of all races, including white people, uh, to come through that, uh, uh, it's damaged all of us, mm. but to do it in a way that acknowledges that the system has been um, rigged from from the start. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, I think you know, I'm biracial, so half of my family's white. I always feel fine about talking about uh, the legacy of racism as it relates to white people because yeah. I think that even in my own family we have to have – uh, honest com and painful conversations. You're, you're, uh, you, we've talked about this. Uh, your family, the, the the white half, live with the little Oregon or something. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they were Trump supporters. The Trump supporters, yeah, and yeah. I, I think, I think for for me, you can have personal relationships, you can have family relationships, but racism cuts through those things in mm. a way that's very profound. 
So I'm always looking for uh, people who are white who are able to have the conversation to acknowledge that they came into a system. They may not have invented the system, but they're in a system. And what is their commitment to changing, interrupting it, and, and making it better for all people? Mm. There's not that many people I would point to in the country that do, do it well. Joe Biden is not one of them. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a requirement well, then, in then, this multiracial society to be able to speak credibly would, to this. And was your head exploding when he when it was floated that he wanted to have Stacey Abrams as his uh, vice presidential Please. candidate? Yeah. I just love that Stacey Abrams, first of all, she I trust and know, I know her personally. I trust mm-hmm. whatever decision that she makes. She jumps into the presidential race. She runs for Senate or she waits and she runs for governor or whatever she ends, ends up doing, that it's going to be fantastic. She's a, a wonderful leader. and But when she said it on The View, you know, you don't run for second place, she was not just talking about herself. She was talking about Biden. Mm-hmm. Remember, he ran for president. The second time he ran for president, he had to withdraw because he was accused of of uh, uh, cheating or copying. Yeah, that was his speech. first. Uh, first time. That was a first, first, first time. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, plagiarism. Right. Plagiarism. Excuse me. And then and then we have uh, a situation where he ran and then became Obama's second. Mm. So I just I want to say that he that Stacey Abrams captured something beautiful, which is that uh, the power dynamic is shifting. That. She recognizes that uh, she really is the kind of leader and has the kind of politics and approach of the future. And Biden seems like he's committed to being firmly entrenched in the past. The other uh, day, and we talked about this uh, for a story we had in the Chronicle, um, Eric Swalwell and Tim Ryan, two straight white guys, jumped into the race. And we talked about this uh, for a little bit, and you told me – which was in our story. I think Eric Swalwell has been doing great at what he's doing now. <laughs> I, I think he's, he's taking on he's, Trump. That's he's, great. He's, I guess he won't be getting that eighth spot on the. Uh, the uh, but it's uh, but it's a steep hill to climb. And then you said for some of these people who are running, are they really running for president? Or are they running for some other office? Uh, I'm not saying that's Swalwell's strategy, but how credible is it that they want to be president? Is that white male privilege speaking right there? Or is that just you know? A guy taking a shot. Could a woman of color just say, "I'm I'm going from Congress to the White House"? Well, you you have Tulsi Gabbard, who yes, I guess she is. She is, guess, yes. But she kind of stands out because she's unusual. Yeah. It's di- it's it, it's unusual and of note for a woman of color to do that, right? Um, and the people who were talking about Stacey Abrams as a possibility, yeah, she could she could totally run for president. Yeah. And there are millions of people that would be like immediately get behind her because right. of who she is. But for but yeah, I think uh, I think white male privilege allows. I think white men uh, are convinced that they could be successful in a lot of places. I just mm. I think that you know, women of color need more of that attitude. How about that? There we, <laughs> <laughs> we need more of that attitude because it, it isn't just a matter of us leaning in as women of color to hey we're going to run for office. We get we get mowed down in the metaphorical sense mm. politically in the primaries because we are the most primaried group of candidates. So um, and, and that's the the uh, when you say primary explain that for people might not. So get that. if you're if you're a democrat and you're running in in a primary for let's say state legislature or you know um, it, uh, women of color who run are most likely to face opposition from people in their own party. Mm. Stacey Abrams uh, faced that uh, people within her the the own the the uh, 
uh, Georgia Democratic Party recruited a white woman, moderate millionaire to run against her, also named Stacey. Oh. I mean, and she's not the only one. It's a it's uh, it's almost pro forma. Um, so I, I think that we've got to we've got to look at there's plenty of space for a Swalwell or a Ryan to run. I don't think my point is that they shouldn't. Right. I think it's a uh, you know an embarrassment of riches to have this this many people saying presenting their ideas and their case. But I don't want people to go jump into a race forgetting that half of the base of the party are people of color and a quarter are black and that women of color are the cornerstone. And if they think they can win without us by not speaking to our issues, that's where I have the, the issue. So my question was Swalwell and Ryan, are they actually speaking to us? Are they going to the South and Southwest? And in what ways are they indicating that they want to um, elevate the issues of a multiracial country? Speaking of issues, President Obama over the weekend said something. He had some concerns about about the number of people uh, in the not necessarily the number of people in the race, but where this could be headed. And he said, "This is the pres- president, former President Obama speaking. Uh, one of the things I do worry about sometimes among progressives in the United States, maybe it's true here as well. He was in Europe when he said this, is a certain kind of rigidity where we say, oh, I'm sorry, this is this is how it's going to be,' and then we start cre- sometimes." creating what's called a circular firing squad where you start shooting at your allies because one of them is straying from purity on the issues. And when that happens, typically the overall effort and movement weakens. Do you have any concerns about along those same lines? Or What do you think he was talking about? I though? think he was talking about uh, Medicare for all because, you know, he was, uh, you know, he Obamacare did not have Medicare for all. That's I right. think he's talking maybe about the Green New Deal and some things that are you know, what the more progressive candidates like. And, uh, well, you're the guest. I wanted to hear from you. No, I just, <laughs> I'm listening to you. And yeah. I'm saying the most exciting transformational politics and the ideas, by the way, both of those ideas, Green for All, yeah. a Green, uh, uh, Green New Deal and Medicare for All, both championed by women of color. And what I will say is both Pramila Jarapal, who I mentioned earlier, yes. congresswoman from Washington, and uh, Alexander. Previous guest on Yeah. Show. Oh, really? Yes, I was in were, her she cha- was, she What was the heck? Yes, I know. So awesome. Stacey Abrams. Yeah, yes. Stacey, okay. Well, then I'm in good company. Yeah. <laughs> as well as Alexandria Acosta-Cortez, congresswoman out of New York, as and Rashida Tlaib out mm-hmm. of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Those women are bringing, are exciting people. It's not even about party. They're right. exciting more people about the possibilities of politics in this moment. And for any politician to say, oh, we should be thinking smaller, we should uh, be, you know, I understand there's an art to politics, but Trump is in the White House. And a lot of us are like, please, the old way of um, uh, trading away the things that are essential and important to the, the, the quality of our lives, we're not, we're not playing that game. Mm. We know how it ends. And so uh, an Obamacare without uh, a lot of people having, you know, a, a Medicare for all option it's kind of it, – it misses the point. Sure, it's progress, but in this society, we actually need everyone to have access to, to health care for mm-hmm. lots of different reasons. And so I think he should kind of step to the side and allow the – those who are vying for the support of you know, the American people and Democrats to present their plans. Guarantee voters will, will let the candidates know which one is inspiring. But for me – 
somebody who's just personally, someone who's tinkering around the edges doesn't really get me inspired and motivated and certainly won't um, bring enough people to the polls to overwhelm what we're seeing um, on the other side. What ticket would generate the most enthusiasm? Ooh. Yeah. Um, we cannot have an all-white ticket. Okay. Can we just say that Clinton, Hillary Clinton made a strategic error? error. Yeah. So um, an ideal ticket could look a lots of different ways, but it should be diverse. Okay. And I will just say that, and there's a lot of possibilities in terms of combo. I'd love an all-woman ticket. would be amazing. Um, but there, we, we, could, we should just talk about who is able to um, assemble the core base and um, who is able to uh, win in these key states, everything from uh, Michigan to, um, you know, to, mi- to Mississippi. And <laughs> that's, that's the combination I'm interested and so in. So not all white and not all male, I presume you're thinking. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then, uh, what is the so the, <laughs> the 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 ticket that would generate the least amount of ticket would be a couple of white guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think um, uh, it's not to say there shouldn't be any one person a white man could be on the ticket. Yeah. But the Democratic Party, with its current makeup, and the fact that women are the majority of the voters, mm-hmm. women of color are the majority of women, I just can't see. Uh, the Democratic Party making the same error. Right. And remember, Hillary Clinton was vetting um, leaders like Cory Booker back in that day. And Julian Castro. And Julian Castro. And they made the strategic error. I doubt that uh, that the... But Tim Kaine spoke Spanish. Come on. That was such a slap (laughs) in the face. I don't speak Spanish, uh, but for all my friends that do, I kept hearing what a slap in the face that was. Beto O'Rourke speaks Spanish too, but he, yeah. it really is a difference of did you learn it in school? Is it, is it part of your culture and right. what do you bring with that? So I don't, I don't really, we don't really have time for that kind of nonsense. So um, one more thing I want to ask is there, there was, of course, a record number of women elected to the House uh, this year. Give us a peek of the future. You're all, you're on the ground. You're in touch with uh, all kinds of candidates. Who is someone who's a sort of a, a couple up and comers who are catching your eye, or just candidates who you think are are great uh, female uh, women of color candidates out there? I want to be able to answer this question, but first I have to say how hard the Democratic Party is trying to do, trying to cut off uh, women of color in the primary, because what oh, really? they did last week. Tom Perez will be Boost here in a couple of days. What, okay, what you got to ask him this. Okay, yeah. What the heck is the Democratic Party, the DCCC in particular, mm-hmm. issuing an edict that says anyone who's going to challenge a an incumbent and any consultant that wants to work for them will never get any money from the Democrats. They are blacklisting uh, essentially the, these how candidates. D- how dare the yeah. Democratic Party and the DCCC yeah. make that? Imagine – you would not have an AOC. You would not have uh, a number of these candidates, these women of color candidates mm-hmm. who challenged tired Democrats, who did not um, embrace and fight for the issues that reflected their district. And um, because they were able to tap into um, expertise, consultants, organizers, they were able to run credible campaigns. They didn't have more money than the, than the incumbents, that the, than the establishment, but they, sh- they demonstrated it was possible to win. And they have transformed the possibilities for the entire party. And to try to end that demonstrates really um, the Democratic Party is more interested in solidifying who they are now as the 
<laughs> honestly, don't it doesn't have the majority in in the Senate, doesn't have the White House, and is trying to say, okay, uh, we're we're fine with where we're at. That's a losing mentality hmm. when um, when the very people who have been least elected, women of color, four percent of elected officials nationally, are the very ones who have great ideas, energy, and bringing new voters at a time we need them because we need them in 2020. So uh, I don't understand what the Democrats are doing. I would love for you to ask Tom Perez, what are they doing? It is, it is on my list of questions. Ex- excellent. Um, also, one other thing I want to ask you was about the, the role the media has played in this. And uh, one of my favorite uh, recurring, charge, recur- recurring charts I see online is uh, 538, uh, as you know, the Nate Silver outfit has a chart on who had the most media attention in their announcements. And they have, um, they have, they've been doing this sort of who's getting the most media attention among the candidates. And it's always Bernie and Beto. Uh, Kamala Harris had a lot of attention. She was third place on her rollout announcement. What does this tell you? Does this, does this tell you anything? And can we, do we look at this through a racial lens or does this just kind of a popularity thing or are they just chasing, you know, who's hot? I mean, Pete Buttigieg is now also a recent guest, is uh, um, the hot new flavor of the month. What do we what do we read? Can we read anything to this? Or yeah, is I mean, just, I think this... I think race and I think gender play mm-hmm. heavily into this because even though we don't think we think it, there's an idea of what a president looks like. It's in our head. It's the guy who's on the the one dollar bill, or you know, bald guy in a powdered so, wig. <laughs> it's so deeply ingrained in our culture. And um, when you know, when Stacey Abrams was running, there had never been a black woman governor. So therefore, her own party did not believe there could be a black woman governor. So therefore, the uh, AJC, which is the uh, biggest paper in Atlanta Georgia, Constitution. Yeah. never really treated her as a credible candidate. Mm. It's all part of a cycle. So I would say um, we have to explicitly look for and cover uh, women and, and, and people of color, women of color. Um, in a new way. And every day I'm talking to reporters or editors who are saying, you know, we made huge mistakes in 2016 because we we did not look for the right things. We covered the wrong things. Even mm-hmm. even polling itself um, is a problem. You mentioned 538. Mm-hmm. Nate Silver, I don't know if, you've, if he's been in this chair, but no. I did an experiment because he was always, you know, showing numbers and it never had women of color in it. He would say black voters and he would be like women. And and I would just I would just tweet at him, what about women of color? I tried it several times, never got a response on Twitter, but that even shows that people who are measuring it, um, there's a blindness that we have. Um, and uh, I think that because we have that blindness, it's almost a self-fulfilling, it can be self-fulfilling where we don't see the, like, you know, I'll just show Elizabeth Warren is now she's going through a lot of southern states. She's directly talking to particularly black women. And she's got poli- very um, extensive policy platforms. Yes, but arguably the, the most fleshed out out of anybody. And, which is impressive. Yes. In my world, a lot of black women, the strongest Democrats, are very interested in her candidacy. Hmm. Very, very interested. The media is not covering it. The media is not paying particular attention to the fact that she's going in the South, but it matters because those are the areas. Why, what's, what, what are the, why are they intrigued about Warren? What, what's uh, attractive about her candidacy? Uh, that, that, her, that, that her plans speak 
deeply mm -hmm. to what black women want to see happen in the mm -hmm. country. And um, so you would talk, you know, Elizabeth Warren's former Republican. I mean, we, we know, like, you know, she's come a long way. She started out talking about, as a Democrat, uh, economic inequality. But something shifted a couple years ago for her, a few years ago, where she started talking about the twin evils of economic injustice and racial injustice and how they're linked. And for, for me, that opened up worlds for her to be able to communicate in a different way to the base. Right. I'm just saying that uh, I think pollsters would be et experts, all the people who reported, including Nate Silver, in 2016 and were totally abjectly wrong about what was happening are missing the, um, the cultural and political transformation that's happening in this country. And, um, I, you know, she, the people's about, look, look, if you look at this group of voters and organizers, you look at this group of candidates, you're going to have an indication of where the country's going in 2020 better uh, than in the way that has been reported in the past. April 24th, and it'll be at uh, Texas Southern University, one of the nation's largest historically black colleges. Uh, she the People Forum, not debate, forum. Yep. And eight, seven have committed waiting for the eighth. That's Amy right. Amy Allison, thank you so much for being on It's All Political. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. I'd like to thank Amy Allison, my friend, for coming to visit on It's All Political today. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for expertly producing today's podcast. Remember, if you're a woman of color or not, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.